How's everybody doing? My name's Dan, and uh, yeah, let's go. That baptism was awesome. Yeah, I lead, uh, I lead student ministries here at the Medina East Campus, and uh, student ministries is real cool. It's kind of comprised of everyone from 6th uh, through 12th grade, and so me and my wife, Charlie, have a, a real like, awesome privilege of hanging out with uh, the students here uh, at Medina East. So if you or somebody you know is in that range, please come Come find me after service. I'd love to, to talk to you, high five you, and just get to hear your story. That's, that's what we're all about here is just uh, trying to connect people to the heart of Jesus. And so we're in a series uh, called, like, like Tommy said, called Patterns uh, That Change Us. Uh, and like he said, what we're really trying to do in this series is just kind of observe the patterns of life that Jesus uh, exemplified. We've been saying that Jesus didn't just come uh, to die uh, to forgive us of sin, which he did, and actually, which is one of the most important things ever. In fact, uh, John 3:16 and 17 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. And God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And that is an extremely important thing that we're all about here uh, at Medina East. And so Jesus died uh, to forgive your sin and you can have a a renewed relationship with God and experience the joy that he has for you if you put your faith in that. And it's a big deal. But what we're talking about in this series is kind of the fact that Jesus, not only did he do that, but he also lived to give us a pattern or like an example of how to live. And so that's what we're taking a look at, these different patterns uh, that change us. And this week we're going to be talking about this pattern of simplicity, uh, we're going to kind of focus on what it looks like to follow Jesus in the pattern of simplicity. And what we've said uh, over the course of this series is that uh, these patterns that change us kind of occur in kind of a sort of symbiotic and complementary way, right? And so today we're going to be talking about simplicity. Next week we're going to talk about generosity. Uh, and the whole idea kind of focuses uh, on what we do with our resources, what we do with our uh, money and our stuff and our time uh, and our uh, kind of energies. And it's going to be a really exciting and interesting conversation. I'm excited about this week uh, and next week. But like I said, simplicity is where we're at today, talking about our resources. Resources. But before we get all heavy duty here, I would like to take a moment to talk to you guys about candy. Does any, do you guys like candy? Let's give a round of applause for candy, I guess. Candy, candy, candy. Uh, all right, and so this guy by the name of Jerry Seinfeld, who is my personal fashion icon, did this bit, he's a comedian, and he did this bit about candy, which is pretty off the chain. And this is what he has to say about candy. He's got it on lockdown. He says, candy was my whole life when I was a kid. The first 10 years of my life, I think the only clear thought I had was get candy. That was it. Family, friends, school, they're all just obstacles in the way of the candy. I'm out for the candy here. I'm just thinking, get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy. And he goes on and he says, that's why you actually have to teach kids not to take candy from a stranger if they're playing in a playground because their candy moron idiot brains are just, this man has candy, I'm going with him. Goodbye, I don't care what happens to me. Get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy. Don't go. They'll torture you, they'll kidnap you. It doesn't matter. He has no Henry, I have to take that chance. Get candy, get candy, get candy. It's pretty funny, right? And then he goes on to talk about Halloween The fact that, like, the first time he hears about the concept of Halloween, it just is, like, melting his brain and his skull. He's like, wait a minute. There was a whole day devoted to just me getting candy? I like that. And then he says, what? Are you kidding me? 
When is this happening? Where? Why? Take me with you. I got to be a part of this. I'll do anything they want. I can wear that. (laughs) He says, I'll wear anything I have to wear. I'll do anything I have to do to get the candy from those fools that are so stupidly giving it away. I think that's pretty funny. You know, I think Seinfeld's a funny guy, especially this line here, I'll wear anything I have to wear. I'll do anything I have to do uh, to get candy. You know, I think it's, it's funny because you see in the, in the heart of a kid, right, in, in a kid who's so obsessed with candy and making that their primary focus that it, it's like they allow candy to kind of define uh, and direct their uh, relationship with every other resource and relationship and energy, everything in their life. It's my, if my family gets in the way of candy, get out of my way, family. If my friends or if school or if whatever it is gets in the way, man, I am primarily focused on candy. That's the, the goal of my life. I'll wear anything I have to wear. I'll do anything I have to do uh, to, get, to get candy, right? And I think we all... Honestly, maybe the reason why that's funny or why it kind of like, you know, is is worth a chuckle is because I think there's a a, a point of truth in it that even maybe resonates in each of our own kind of hearts uh, and our minds. I think we all uh, individually have our own uh, kind of, I would say, candy that we kind of focus on or or, uh, maybe like there's a a variety of different ingredients or um, different components of our lives that kind of constitute what is our central focus and the thing that we desire more than anything else, the thing that we think, I'll do anything I have to do, I'll wear anything I have to wear, I don't care about the dangers, I don't care about if it'll be embarrassing or whatever, I am primarily focused on this thing. And I think sometimes the kind of recipe in our candy might have some of these ingredients, maybe family, you know, making that the primary focus of my life, or friends, or money, and the list goes on, right? Maybe my candy has, uh, you know, 20% job focus and 45% family, and I'm trying to, like, navigate through and figure out how to, like, make the perfect mixture of these things, and the list goes on and on. Maybe my candy has some body, you know, body image stuff, and I really am concerned about politics or whatever. And I think that what happens uh, over the course of our lives is that indecipherably we kind of create our own uh, recipe or our own mixture, right? We take the experiences in our lives. We take uh, all the different maybe the joys and the fears and the expectation and the pain. And then we kind of, uh, you know, think about all these different things and create our own kind of unique recipe. And we say, these are the things that kind of define and direct my life These define how I think about uh, what I'm going to do with my resources, and I don't care what I have to do. I don't care where I have to go. I need to make these things be the central uh, focus, and they become, uh, you know, our primary focus. This combination of stuff defines our relationship with everything else, with our uh, relationships, with our resources, with everything. And so for those of us in this room that uh, follow Jesus, you know, we're actually called to have uh, kind of a different central focus. And I know, you know, in a room this size that maybe not everybody follows Jesus in this room. And if you're in this room and you're investigating, we just genuinely want to say that we are so grateful that you're here. And we hope that you feel welcomed and loved because you are. And we just genuinely want to uh, represent Jesus well and, and, and help you to feel engaged with and, and uh, appreciated because you are. But for those of us that follow Jesus, you know, we're supposed to have a primary focus and we're supposed to have a kind of singular thing that kind of uh, defines our relationship with everything else. And that singular thing, that singular focus is Jesus. Jesus is supposed to be uh, the center of everything for us. If we follow him, he's supposed to be the center. And so this informs everything that we do. I'll wear, oh, Jesus has an opinion about the clothes that I wear? 
what? Well, I'll wear anything I have to wear. I'll, I'll do anything I have to do. It might, mess, it might be uh, really detrimental to my social situation. Maybe it'll affect my job. Maybe it'll affect the things that I you know, do for leisure or whatever. I'll do anything I have to do to get, to get Jesus or to pursue the things of God. And uh, you know, I think this really starts to bring clarity to, uh, to our lives. In the same way that a kid whose number one thing is to get candy, and that's the whole focus of their lives, brings a lot of simplicity to their life to say, Everything else is out of the picture. I'm just focused on getting candy. I think there's a similar simplicity that occurs when we primarily focus on Jesus and allow him to be the absolute central focus of our lives. I think a life singularly oriented toward Jesus brings clarity uh, and simplicity. It brings kind of a freedom and a lightness if we recognize that he alone is what we uh, ultimately desire and long for and need. And I think that this is the kind of uh, simplicity and the kind of clarity and freedom that a, long, a lot of us are longing for in a, in a really deep way. I think in the culture, especially in the culture that we live in, they're so complex and so there are so many different things happening. We long for a simplicity and a freedom and a clarity of focus. And I think that that really can only occur if you recognize that Jesus is who he claims to be and you put your faith in him and you allow him to be the central focus uh, of your lives. And so what uh, we've defined uh, simplicity as in this, you know, in this conversation today is, I think, really helpful. And you might want to uh, jot this down or maybe take a picture of, of it. Uh, but simplicity, as we're defining it here, following Jesus in the pattern of simplicity is allowing Jesus, allowing Jesus to define my relationship with my resources. My devotion to Jesus will show up in every area of my life. There is no uh, part of my life, not my checkbook, not the kind of car that I drive, not what I wear, not how I try to be perceived by other people, not the energies that I spend on this or that. All of that is uh, just going to be an external kind of representation of what is happening internally in my heart and in my mind, that I am primarily focused on him and that manifests itself in everything else that I do especially in practical stuff like money uh, and, and time and, um, you know, what I, how I live. I think uh, Richard Foster, in his just amazingly stellar book, The Celebration of Discipline, um, which we've quoted a lot. Throughout the series, we've really quoted this book a lot because it so uh, beautifully articulates a lot of the things we've been addressing in this series. But he says uh, in The Celebration of Discipline, the Christian discipline or the pattern of simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. Both the inward and outward aspects of simplicity are essential. And so I can't just claim that I follow Jesus, but not let that affect what I do with my money and my stuff and with my resources. That has to actually manifest itself in what I do. We deceive ourselves if we believe we can possess the inward reality without its having a profound effect on how we live. If we genuinely follow Christ, that is going to inform the things that we do. And he goes on to say, inwardly, modern man is fractured uh, and fragmented. He's trapped in a maze of competing attachments. And I'll tell you, for me, on, like straight up, that is really true in my life and in my heart. Because there are moments in my day when, you know, maybe I get home from work and I want to be a good father and I want to be a good husband and I want to be like emotionally and spiritually present with my family. 
but I also am thinking about my job or thinking about uh, some friend or some other situation uh, over there, and, and, and my mind is kind of halfway at my job and halfway with uh, my wife and my kids, and I feel like I'm fractured and I'm, and I'm trapped in this maze of, of competing attachments, and I don't, know, I don't know how to navigate through that. Or maybe, you know, summer's coming up here eventually when it stops raining, I guess, and I'm trying, you know, maybe I'm trying to get a little bit of a beach bod, you know, I'm trying to pursue a six-pack maybe. I'm trying, but I also am pursuing bagels, and, and so, you know, it's like be, you know, be ripped, food tastes good, and it's like th- these are competing attachments in my mind, right? And so I think what he's saying is, right, we're tra- we're tra- I don't know where to go. I don't know. I don't know. Is it about money, or is it about time with my family? Is it about status at work, or is it about uh, what I'm doing in my community? There are all these different things that kind of intersect, and it's confusing, and modern man is trapped in a maze of competing attachments. One moment, he makes decisions on the basis of sound reason, and the next moment, out of fear of what others will think of him. He has no unity or focus around which he uh, is oriented. And again, I think that really kind of uh, speaks to what we're saying is that, man, simplicity, this liberating, powerful idea of the pattern of simplicity exemplified in the life and the teachings of Jesus, simplicity is allowing Jesus to define my relationship with all of my resources. Everything that I have is directed and guided toward, uh, you know, just a pursuit of Christ. And I think that one of the most beautiful and clarifying passages about uh, this idea can be found in Matthew uh, chapter 6. So if you've got your guys' Bibles, if you want to blast those uh, open, we're going to be hanging out in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, or if you have a device, you want to open that up, that's cool. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, that's no problem. We actually have some provided for you in the chairs underneath you. And, and you can find uh, Matthew chapter 6 on page 679 in those black Bibles. And we also say this every week, that if you don't own a Bible, like you just straight up don't even have a copy of the Bible, we want you to take that black Bible and make it a gift from us to you. We think it is super duper important to have a copy of God's word. So take that Bible. It's yours. Happy Father's Day. You're my dad. You're not not actually my dad. (laughs) That would be really weird. Anyway, uh, so Matthew 6 is the Sermon on the Mount, all right? It's a very famous passage about the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has a a large group of people. He has them sitting uh, on a hill, and he begins to teach them. And what he's teaching them is about, his whole teaching is oriented toward uh, teaching about the kingdom of God. He talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And what this is, the kingdom of God, is God's active rule and reign in my life. It's not just the place I go up in the clouds when I die. The kingdom of God is present and it is his active rule and reign in my life, in the lives of people that follow him. It is here and now. If you embrace him and allow him to guide and direct your life, the kingdom of God is there and you're a part of it. And so he's teaching about the kingdom of God. It's incredibly profound. And so what I would like for us to do, I'm about to read a pretty uh, famous passage, a pretty probably well-known passage to, to some of us. Uh, and I think it's really easy to just kind of gloss over, uh, you know, what we've heard, if we've heard this a bunch of times in the past. But I think especially as it pertains to simplicity, that there is such uh, a clarifying uh, and beautiful, uh, kind of gently powerful um, tone in what, in what Jesus uh, brings in this teaching. And so I would just ask genuinely, uh, if you can, to, to press in as hard as you can to what Jesus uh, is going to say to you in his word here, because he has so much uh, wisdom and so much power uh, in this passage. And so I would just ask that you, you really press in and let uh, God's word wash over you 
in a new way. In fact, I just want to lay a quick prayer on this because I think it's such a powerful passage and uh, it has so much truth for you today. So I'm going to pray for us real quick. Well, Lord, I'm just, man, I'm so grateful that we get to uh, talk about you. I'm really grateful that we had a chance to see that baptism and that was just like so overwhelming and, and awesome. And I'm just asking, Lord, as we get into your word, that by the power of your spirit, we uh, come to a, a deeper understanding of your love. There's a lot of people in this room and they all need, need you desperately. And so I ask that you soften hearts and open up minds to hear what you want uh, everybody to hear. You are, uh, you're a good king and I just ask that you help us to hear what you're saying. Amen. Okay, so he starts out in verse 24. And like I said, everybody's sitting on a hill and he begins to talk to them and he says, nobody can serve two masters. Okay, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think Jesus' teaching is pretty clear. He, he basically says, look, you're going to have an allegiance toward something. Your heart is going to be primarily focused on something and it's either going to be toward God or something else. And a very tempting thing to focus on right here, he says, is money. And he's like, you cannot serve both God and money. You have to make a decision and choose who you follow. In fact, this word money is interesting. This is a pretty good translation. Some other translations might say uh, wealth or you might even have a kind of an older translation that maybe says you cannot serve both God and mammon. Everybody say mammon. That's the thing we do up in youth group is we just sometimes shrug and say words. Mammon. I feel a little insecure, but it's okay. Now, anyway, mammon is basically like your possessions and your stuff and your, your riches, your treasure, basically your, um, your resources. He says you can't serve both God and your resources. These are, these are competing things, and you have to, you have to pick. You, you can't have full and total allegiance to your resources and to God. Pick. And so for the people he's talking to, they've kind of like made the decision or he's assuming that they've made the decision to follow him. And so he says, because, therefore, because you have chosen to follow me rather than uh, your resources and, and to primarily focus on them, I tell you, do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. And I think, honestly, maybe you're in this room and, and the words that you really need to hear, maybe all that God wants to tell you today is these three words right here. Pretty simple. Do not worry. I think we live, again, in a society and in a culture that is so consumed with uh, so many different competing attachments. Like Foster said, we're like trapped in this maze of competing attachments and what do I do? And for Jesus, I believe these are the living words of God and that he's present and he wants you to be free from worry. And so Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, if you follow me, do not worry. And if you're investigating me, this is available to you to be liberated from worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? There's something deeper and more eternal and significant and powerful in this life than the clothes that you put on or the food that you eat or the parties that you go to. There's something more significant. Don't worry. Look at the birds of the air. He says there's a big sky and birds are flying and they come and go so free and so easy and they do not sow or reap or store away in barns. It's so easy and yet your heavenly father feeds them. He says even the birds are taken care of by God. Are you not much more valuable than they? And I think maybe some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to hear that you are created by God 
that he loves you. He created you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He longs to be your pure and true source of joy. And you are infinitely more valuable than, than the birds. You are totally valued and he loves you. And so, you know, I know I, I need to hear that because sometimes I feel kind of lame or lousy, you know. I feel like, man, am I even worth anything? And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is telling you, your value, you are of value. You're valued, right? He goes on. Can anyone, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And again, you know, I, uh, I live in 2019 America, right? This was something Jesus said uh, over 2,000 years ago. And I need it as, just as much today, right now. I need this question asked to me right now as much as anybody uh, did back in the day. Because I constantly feel like I have to worry or be concerned with or manipulate or cajole these different circumstances to get, to get what I want, to, to make my life feel like it has value. And Jesus says, can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour of your life, no. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. You know, Solomon was this old king back in the day, and he was kind of like basically super rich, just like Kanye meets Kim Jong-un combination, just G'd up from the feet up, Gucci'd up, Louis Vuitton and Rolls Royce did up, (laughs) Solomon, blinging, he was totally blinging. And Jesus says, look, look at the bird, why do you worry about your clothes? How the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. He says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. He's like, I want to supply everything that you need. I have the provision that you need. I know what you need, and I want to provide it for you. Even Solomon in all his splendor wasn't arrayed like one of these. And then he says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Again, this is Jesus. <laughs> these are the living words of God. And he's saying to you, do not worry. Do not worry about all this stuff. That's what he says. That's what the pagans run after, after all these things. And this word pagans, some of your translations might say uh, Gentiles, but it's really just anybody that, that doesn't uh, follow God. Anybody that hasn't come to the uh, incredibly liberating realization that there is a God that loves them and that has uh, their absolute best interest in mind and wants to provide for them. He ba- another translation is the uh, New Living Translation, is it, and it says, these things occupy the thoughts of, the un- of unbelievers. And again, I, can't, I basically can't say this enough, that if you're in this room and you're trying to investigate Jesus, man, we want you to follow him, not to just you know, get our numbers up or something, but because there is unlimited liberating power in a life following Jesus. And so that's what we want for you. He says, your heavenly father knows what you need. And then he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. So if you allow his rule and his reign, the incredible, powerful and dynamic, active presence of the living God to take a hold of your heart. If you allow his rule and his reign into your life, he will provide for you in a way that is perfectly suited to your needs. Not, not what you want moment by moment, maybe necessarily, but what you ultimately need. And I'm here to tell you that God made you. 
He knows all your fears. He knows all your pain. He knows your financial situation. He knows your anxiety and your concerns. He knows exactly what you need, and he wants to provide for you. And the way that he can do that and the way that he wants to be that provision is for you to embrace him as the uh, supreme and the, and the primary focus of your life. And if you seek first him, if you seek Jesus first in his kingdom, he'll provide what you need. And it's incredibly uh, clear. And I, I just love Jesus uh, in this passage because it's so profound and um, it's so moving, but it's also so gentle. And I think it's just, it's just the best thing ever. And so again, our definition, uh, simplicity uh, is allowing Jesus to define my relationship with my resources. Just Jesus is the center of everything. And so maybe uh, for those of you in this room that are feeling um, like affected by that or that maybe the spirit of God is moving on you in some way to kind of, to really try to embrace uh, what Jesus is teaching here, I would just ask you to uh, really let that uh, sink in for a minute and because what we're going to do is talk about like some practical implications of this and the fact that, man, this is really a moving and beautiful passage, but it could also actually show up in my real life and the things that I do with my stuff and my energy uh, and my talents and everything. And so we're going to kind of get into a little part of uh, kind of practical suggestions. And I just ask you to, to genuinely let the love of Jesus uh, compel you into really considering these questions because he's provided for you. He loves you. He wants nothing but the best for you, the ultimate best, more deep than you can even imagine. He has uh, um, a story written out for you that is so much more exciting and profound than just chasing after momentary pleasures and uh, trinkets and stuff. And so I'm asking you to consider this. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do some practical suggestions, starting with uh, this question or kind of this suggestion. In light of Jesus' teaching on simplicity, maybe examine my own heart and talk to God and say, man, does this, in what way does this apply to me? Does, does this passage speak to my worry and my concern about my stuff or about the provision that I'm, that I'm concerned about? Am I concerned about my clothes? Am I concerned about uh, the things uh, of this world in a way that doesn't correspond to my relationship with Jesus? I'd ask you to really consider that. I think God wants you to, to recognize that he has an opinion. He's not, he's not just isolated uh, in, into certain little different categories that he wants to be the Lord of every part of your life. And so in light of Jesus' teaching on simplicity, examine my own heart and talk to God. And then I would start by a really kind of easy way to do that is by asking some, some questions, maybe kind of taking a look in for a second and asking yourself some questions that, that might kind of sting a little bit, but I think are really helpful in identifying where you're at um, in, in terms of your relationship with Jesus and uh, the way that he is defining your, your uh, kind of thoughts about your stuff. So you might want to ask this question. Do I buy things... Do I buy things like a house or cars or clothes for their usefulness or just for their status? Right? I think a lot of us, again, in the culture that we're living in and the temptation, uh, that, the, the kind of uh, temptations that we face to achieve a certain status by these kind of symbols of our success or whatever, is to kind of show other people what we're about by the fact that we have nice stuff. And so maybe for you, you know, you live in a kind of house that maybe, maybe there's a part of the reason why you bought your house is that you just wanted to live uh, in a certain neighborhood, you know, that's like the successful neighborhood or whatever. And, and there might be a part of you that thinks, man, maybe I could, I could utilize that resource in a way different than just trying to show off. And so maybe for you, you could use your home to host a life group, right, to use the resources that you have to be, to, to let the resources that you have to be defined by Jesus. Use your home to host a life group or extend a hospitality to your neighbors. To say, man, I don't just have this house for me, 
I actually have this, this house has been given to me by God to be uh, like uh, used by him to like reach out to the community and show other people the love uh, of God, that he wants to bring uh, righteousness and justice and love into the community. So maybe think about using your house as a, to host a life group or to extend hospitality to your neighbors. You might want to think about trading your vehicle in for a less prestigious but equally functional model and then maybe using the extra money to bless somebody in need. Maybe you're, you know, you're, you're in a position where uh, you can afford a certain level of vehicle, and that's really cool, and it's nice to be luxurious, but maybe that is starting to be something that you uh, focus on a little bit too much, and you might want to think about uh, what it could look like to say, you know what, actually a $30,000 vehicle might get me to the same place that a sixty or a $70,000 vehicle would get me to, and I was putting some of my identity in that, and I can be liberated by trading it in for something that works equally well, and then I can use that money to, to help somebody out in need. That would be incredibly liberating and powerful. And the, the effect that that would have not only on the person that you're blessing, but also on you to see, man, my life is actually about Jesus. And I am uh, showing that in, in uh, giving this thing up that's a, a luxury so that I can embrace him. Or maybe, you know, clothes are, are a big thing. You might want to think about wearing clothes until they wear out, not until they go out of fashion. Right? I think, again, a lot of us, uh, kind of see all these advertisements and the constant stream of like keeping up with fashion or whatever. And it's like, man, I have to keep up with the fashion. But there's something really powerful about saying, you know what? I'm not gonna let society define my understanding of life. And I'm not concerned about how, uh, you know, whether or not I'm like the coolest looking person at any moment. And so you might wanna think about wearing clothes until they wear out, not until they go out of fashion. Buy clothes for their quality and their function, not strictly for their name brand. You know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of clothes you can buy that might not have the fanciest name brand, but that get it done just as well. And so that might be something that you want to talk to Jesus about for real. If he's defining your relationship with your resources, he has an opinion. And I would talk to him about that. And I think at this point, as I was thinking about it, what, what might be happening is in, in the hearts and the minds of maybe some of my less uh, affluent brethren, right, the broke people in here, we might be thinking, yeah, take that, rich people. Like, <laughs> I get what this sermon is about. Rich people are bad. Great sermon. See you guys next week or something. And that's not what this sermon is about at all, right? And so here's, I'm going to swing it on over to the broke people side here. And here's where we got. So for those of you in this room that might not have be all manner of Gucci'd up, you could, say, you could think about these things. You could ask yourself the question, do I recognize God's gracious gifts of provision all around me? You know, maybe I'm really struggling to to meet the bills or whatever, and I feel my car's breaking down or whatever, you know, which is stressful and it's concerning. But the question is, man, do I actively and intentionally recognize that even even the fact that I'm alive and breathing air is actually a gift of God? You know, there are things that Jesus wants to, Jesus wants to talk to you and to teach you right in the moment that you're in. The way that God teaches you is in your life circumstances. And in the moments of your day when you're feeling stressed or confused about not having enough whatever, I think Jesus might be wanting to teach you, man, look at what I've provided for you up to this point, that breath in your lungs. And so you might want to write a list of things that you can be thankful for and post them in a prominent place. You might want to get a piece of paper out and write down, like, life and, you know, friendships that you have. Maybe you could even write down something like light and air. The fact that, you know, God makes things grow by the power of, like, the sun shining on stuff. Or the fact that you have breath in your lungs is an incredible gift that God has given you. Actually, every, every breath that you take is a gift from God. He's blessing you all the time. 
And maybe you might want to thank him for water, the fact that you have clean water to drink, or the fact that you have a bed to sleep in. You know, if you slept in a bed and you can have easy access to clean water throughout all human history, you're like in the top 1%. You're like crushing. If you have clean water in a bed, you're like crushing it compared to all of human history. And so you might want to really consider the fact that, man, we've been blessed even to live in America and to, to even be in this place free from uh, persecution, to just hang out in a big fancy church. Like, this is a blessing, and you could be grateful for that. So thank you for light and air and for water and for a bed. Maybe you have a water bed, and you could thank him for that. <laughs> I'm really glad you guys are laughing at that because I'm really committed to this water bed joke, and I'm going to make it like three more times. And so... Those are the you know, I got some, some of my uh, high school and middle school friends that are here, and they know that I'll just I'll get committed to jokes, and I'll just ride with them. So I'm glad you laughed a lot. Please keep laughing all the time. I need your laughter. It charges my batteries. Okay. You might want to ask this question. Am I attached to my possessions, or do I hold them uh, with an open hand? Right? I think, again, it's very easy to say I have accumulated this stuff These are my favorite objects that kind of define my life, and there's no way I could ever get rid of this thing because that is like, I have to hold on to it. I have to hold on to it. And I was talking to a guy last service about an experience he had where when he and a group of people realized that if they open their hands and let something go, he was actually talking about this church, and he was talking about the fact that he and a group of people Uh, recognized when this church was kind of uh, a little bit smaller, that if they just open up their hands and and let it go, if they, if they let go of, of what they have and allow it to, uh, to just be directed by God, that, that, that uh, God could use it, you know, and God has blessed this church. I think that the reason why it's all big and fancy here and we have a lot of nice, cool stuff is because a small group of people really believed that this was true. And they believed that they weren't, they didn't have to be attached to their stuff, but that they could let it go and that God would bless it and help it to flourish. And so you might want to consider, uh, prayerfully consider giving something. Uh, yeah, you might want to prayerfully consider giving something you cherish to a friend or someone uh, you're trying to reach for Jesus. And um, I think there's so much power there. I think there's so much power there because uh, ownership of things, I think, gives the illusion of control and it gives the illusion that, like, I can, I can define and direct my own destiny or something like that, but to open up your hand and to say, this is actually a gift. Somebody, I've been given this gift of a thing, but man, I don't have to hold on to it. I want to bless and serve other people. Something you might want to consider. It reminds me of a time, this dude gave me a chainsaw once, and he's like a chainsaw guy, and he like has every every, every size chainsaw, you know? I was talking to him about how I needed a chainsaw, and I saw in his his mind almost, uh, or I, I saw what seemed to be the wheel spinning where he was like, you know what, I actually have an extra chainsaw, even though it's in my arsenal and I like, like have a, to have a complete set or whatever, you need a chainsaw and so I'll give it to you. And I was really blessed by that, but I honestly think that him and being willing to hold his stuff, his possessions, his cherished possessions with an open hand and give that away to me, man, that, that, blessed, that blessed him probably more than it blessed me. Because he realized, man, the source of all my blessing is God. And I can have a deeper understanding of that if I practically, like literally practically allow it to show up by giving stuff away. So you give away a chainsaw to somebody, I guess. Find somebody and give them a chainsaw. That's the point of this sermon. Or you give them a book or a flower or a painting or whatever, whatever cherished possession. Maybe you got a waterbed and you want to give it away. (laughs) Right? Right? It's only going to get funnier. We're only halfway there. (laughs) It's going to get funnier. It's going to seem like it isn't funny for the next one, but it's going to be the most funny. It's going to be the least amount of laughing, but the deepest humor. (laughs) 
That is my prophetic vision. Last question. Do I spend more energy serving my stuff or my king? Right, do I, okay, do I, in the course of my day and my time and like the, the amount of beats that my heart makes, are those beats dedicated to like making sure that every part of my house is totally on lockdown and that all, that my like boat is waxed and that all my stuff is lined up and that I have, uh, you know, the, the perfect assortment of things or do I spend more energy serving my king? I think a lot of time, and I am, I will be as genuinely honest as I can with you guys. I'm like kind of a clean freak, all right? I'm like a neat nick clean freak. And it is actually a huge sacrifice for me personally to go home and to just engage with my kids rather than blast out the vacuum cleaner, right? I, really, it's like I just, I like, unless everything is immaculately, spotlessly clean, I for some reason, just feel like I have to do that. I have to serve my house to, like, be a certain level rather than to just be like, okay, there's a couple of graham cracker crumbs on the floor, but my kid is right here, and I could serve him, and I could uh, represent my love of Jesus by engaging with him in that moment. And that's really a challenge for me. And so you might want to ask the question, do I spend more energy serving my stuff or my king? It reminds me of this quote from uh, this guy Tyler Durden who was in this movie Fight Club. This is Brad Pitt's seminal role and he says, the things you own end up owning you. I think that's true. I think that's a hard truth, but it's a real truth, man. A lot of times, my whatever, the stuff that I have, it, it, it is the directing thing in my life. The stuff you own winds up owning you. And so you might want to consider intentionally decluttering your life by asking if your relationship with whatever the thing is, is defined by Jesus. Intentionally declutter Say, man, I don't have to have this, uh, like, bunker or warehouse full of stuff. Or I don't, need, I don't need all of these possessions. They're taking over my time. I put stuff in boxes and move it over there. I can't get rid of it. Like, just there, there's very uh, significant value and power in letting things go. And so intentionally declutter your life by asking if your relationship with your house is defined by Jesus. Like I said, I, I need to do this. I'm like not, I'm trying to get better at this myself. Intentionally declutter your life by asking if your relationship with your house is defined by Jesus. Or maybe whatever, your stuff, your objects, your possessions, or your schedule is the way that you're using your time, the resource of your time, is that informed by Jesus? Maybe it's your relationships, maybe it's your budget. Maybe you have a weird relationship with your waterbed. I don't know. See, less laughing, most funny. I'm confident. It's truth. It's the truth. So that's, there you go. Basically, I think we're at the end of our thing here, and I will tell you this, that simplicity is allowing Jesus to define my relationship with my resources. And I'm just asking you to imagine, to let the truth of God and the fact that he loves you and he wants to provide for you into your heart. And imagine what could occur if you genuinely embrace uh, that powerful truth. I'm going to invite the band up uh, at this time. And as they do, like I said, to just imagine the, the freedom and the liberation personally that you could experience if in simplicity you just pursue Jesus and allow him to define and direct the way that you use your resources. I think we all, to a certain extent, have a degree of anxiety and fear and concern about how we're either perceived or the things that we're doing in our lives, the kind of things that we're accumulating, our uh, uh, you know, 401K or our insur best insurance policy, and, whatever, and that's all great stuff. But man, if that is the primary focus of your life, 
you got to seek first the kingdom. you got to seek first the kingdom. And so imagine the kind of liberation that could occur in your life. And then even into your family. Imagine what it might look like for you and your spouse to both be unified in a pursuit of Jesus. I think a lot of times what happens is spouse A has this list of things that are of primary importance and spouse B has this other list. And those lists aren't always in perfect unity, right? And it becomes very confusing and there's a lot of tension that occurs. Imagine the kind of uh, harmony and unity that could occur uh, in your family if you're both tuned up toward the primary purpose and goal of making Jesus the absolute center of your life. That's liberating. Imagine what we could do as a community if in your, around your neighbors, that they began to see that, man, you are inviting, you just started inviting people over to your house to, 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 to engage with them and to extend hospitality. The amount of impact, the, the genuine and potentially eternal impact that you could make on somebody by inviting them over to your house and using the resources that you have to engage with them. And then even us uh, collectively as a family, as a church, the amount of uh, un- incalculable impact that we could make on the world if we became more focused on, Jesus, on, on his kingdom and on his righteousness and on, and on bringing justice and love into our world, the amount of impact that we could make is astronomical. And I would just invite you to imagine what that could look like for you as you pursue uh, simplicity in these ways. And so I'd like to leave you with uh, Matthew 6 once again. I just can't, as it turns out, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be a good communicator, but Jesus is actually significantly a better communicator than me. And so I would just like to leave you with the words of Jesus. His words are truth. His words are life. And they are for you. So I'm going to read these words. We're going to pray, and then we're going to rock the casbah. And here's what he has to say. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, I love you and uh, we love you. And we're grateful for you. We're grateful for the provision that you have given us uh, up to this moment. I ask that you compel us to be aware of the incredible blessings that you've given us. Uh, most especially the gift of your son and what he has done for us. I ask that that, the gift of salvation becomes uh, extremely clear in our minds as an overwhelming blessing that you have given us. But even into the practical things as well, Father, that you've supplied what we need. And God, I just ask that for the people in this room that that need uh, encouraged to take a step toward uh, simplicity and practicing uh, this, this pattern of uh, allowing you to define our relationship with our resources. God, I ask that you compel each one of us in, uh, in the ways that you need us to, uh, to pursue you and to put you first. Your kingdom is supreme. There is a king 
There is a kingdom. You reign supreme, and we just praise you for who you are and what you do. Bless us in this time of worship. You're the king of glory. Amen.